Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Romans. We're about 20 sermons or so in to our study of this great gospel, um, this letter to the church at Rome. God's given this Word to us through the human writer, the Apostle Paul, and we talked last week after um, picking up in Romans 1.17 all the way to the end of chapter 4. The Apostle has made it very, very clear that the gospel is um, this happy news, and you have to understand the bad news before the good news makes sense. And the bad news is whether we uh, find ourselves having Jewish ethnicity or whether we are Gentiles, we all stand condemned before God. And then he paints that beautiful portrait of justification by faith. How can a sinner be made right with God? Well, that is 100 dependent upon God, upon God's grace. And um, having Jewish ethnicity or having possession of God's Word or having some kind of sign, circumcision in the Old Testament or maybe water baptism or some kind of sign, none of those things will save you. Salvation is only, only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then we got to verse 1 of chapter 5, and he shifts gears on us. He says, well, since you have been justified, look back at chapter 5, verse 1, where we were last week, therefore, having been justified by faith, and he shifts gears and starts using this we and us language, and he's talking about and teaching us about and instructing us in the outworkings of the gospel for those who, in fact, are saved, those who have been born again, those who have been justified. What are the implications of being justified? Therefore, having been justified by faith, well, we talked last week we have peace with God, and we also have been introduced or have this access into this grace, and we stand in this grace, and so we continue on. We sort of stopped when we stopped at verse 5 in the middle of a paragraph, if you will, and we pick back up Romans 5, verse 6 today, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get down to verse 11. So, uh, the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 5, verse 6, if you are able, would you stand while I read our um, text for this morning? The word of the Lord from Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is clear. We thank you that it is sufficient. God, we thank you for the promise that you have um, not left us. Um, You have sent God the Holy Spirit, Lord, and uh, we're mindful of uh, the promise that he will guide us into all the truth. And so we pray today, God, for divine 
aid, divine assistance that you would open to our heart, mind, life, eyes, wonderful things from your law, and you would grant us grace to receive eagerly this great truth and believe this glorious gospel and cling to Christ and be continually turning from our sins. We pray you would build up your church and that we would be uh, a people uh, worthy of the Lord and we would live uh, lives that are pleasing in your sight on mission uh, for King Jesus until he comes. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The sermon title, The Love of God, you'll see where we stopped last week that it seems to be more of this subjective reality that he declares to be the case. Verse 5 of Romans 5, hope does not disappoint. So, you know, we mentioned to you that starting at Romans 5 verse 1 and going all the way through chapter 8 until you get to chapter 8 verse 39 and how those really are bookended. You could take that first 11 verses of chapter 5 and about the last dozen verses of chapter 8 and they really mirror each other quite well. And the, the theme that's running underneath Romans 5, 6, 7, 8 is this great hope that we have, this hope that we have in God, this theme of hope and not wish, hey, I hope like the world, dream wish, but biblical hope, this assurance, this confidence, listen, that God is going to do all that he has promised. We have confidence that God's going to do all that he has promised. And then he introduces us in verse 5 that this hope does not disappoint, and he bases that on this reality that God has poured out. Look at this. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we have God's love been poured out upon us. And then we get to verse 6, and we get what really is this, I would say, the objective explanation of that, this reality of God's love. And you could almost think of Romans 5, 6 through 11 as a description of the nature of God's love. What is God's love like? What is God's love like? And he's going to explain that. He's going to paint us a portrait. So, chosen the love of God. You see that phrase there in verse 5? The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. And then he picks up this theme, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. So, What does this passage teach us about the love of God? Well, number one, I want you to see the love of God is magnified when we consider the kind of people we were before God saved us. The love of God is magnified when we consider the kind of people we were before God saved us. And by the way, he describes uh, from multiple in multiple different ways in this very passage. God clearly took the initiative. Look there at verse 6. What kind of people were we before God saved us? Well, right out of the gate in verse 6, while we were still helpless, while we were helpless. Now, this idea of helpless, so helpless, that meaning of that word is while we were powerless, while we were weak, listen to this, while we were lacking, and in particular, while we were lacking faith. So many people, uh, mistakenly view um, faith as something they've done. Even our faith is a gift from God. And, And look, God's love came to us, so you find the picture again that you find all over Scripture that as it relates to God reconciling man, God justifying sinners, God took the initiative. We study that over in Romans 3. Who seeks after God? 
No one. What kind of people see God? No one. We would, we would never think that we would not have one Godward thought. And so, how is it that the love of God is magnified when we consider the kind of people we were before God saved us? Well, he says, for while we were still helpless, while we were lacking faith, while we were without faith, while we had no power or ability or strength to trust in Christ, listen, if we're going to be saved, God must act. God must give us life and power. So, verse 6, we're, look, helpless. Look at the end of verse 6. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he, he's, he's helping us see. And by the way, these are, um, this kind of truth is uh, most unpopular in um, so many places in our day where we have such a, um, a tendency toward man-centered preaching, man-centered theology. I don't know if you, I, don't, I guess it wouldn't be theology. It'd be man-centered preaching. And it's like, you, you're telling me all these people, they, all these people have put on many of us our Sunday best and we come in here and you're telling us we were helpless and we were ungodly. Surely that's not going to build the church. No, let me tell you, you know what ignites our worship? Recognizing that we were lacking, we were helpless, we had no faith, we had, we had no Godward intention, we were ungodly people. So he says we were helpless, we were ungodly. Drop down to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. So we're, we're building this portrait. You know, we're saying, hey, we want to see ourselves rightly. We want to see God rightly. And in this passage, he's told us we're helpless, we're ungodly, we're sinners. Look, at, drop down to verse 10. For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved for his life. So we were Helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. Now, enemies, we like to think, and this, this creeps over, this bad theology will creep over into our um, sharing the gospel. We will distort the gospel if we're not carefully because oftentimes we think of people who, uh, who are lost, we think like, well, you know, they're sort of they're neutral. You've never met anyone that's neutral toward Christ. We either find ourselves in the, in the camp of being helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. And by the way, I love Paul's language. Look at verse 6. While we were still helpless. You know, that's our old address. You know somebody ought to have a heart for the lost? People that have been saved by Christ. So when we're interacting with people, we know what it's like to be helpless to be ungodly, to be sinners, to be enemies. enemies That's our old address. And how quickly we can get into the church culture and we lose sight. You know what? One of my prayers for this passage and our study of Romans with this passage this week, we hear all this and it's like, yeah, I've been a... We, we'll get lulled into thinking the shine comes off of the wonder of our salvation because maybe we're three, four, five decades into it and we don't see ourselves. No, here's what God's Word said. We were helpless. We were ungodly. We were sinners against the holy God. We were enemies. We were not neutral. We despised God. Listen, we, were, we had enmity toward him, and he had enmity toward us. Go read John 3, 36. 
His wrath abided upon us. We were spiritually dead. Listen to what Paul says over in Ephesians 2. You're familiar with this passage. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we were spiritually dead. Verse 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I don't even know if we can, we can't stop there, right? That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, but what's Ephesians 2, 4? But God, wow, newsflash, but God, being rich in mercy, right? He saved us. So the love of God is magnified when we consider the kind of people we were before God saved us. And by the way, I want you to see this reality that God has intervened for helpless, ungodly sinners who were his enemies. And look at verse 1, what God has done. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Drop down to verse 9. I'm Romans 5. Drop down to verse 9. Much more than having now been justified... By his blood, we shall be saved. We shall be saved. Do you pick up on the language, this passive language, having been justified, we shall be saved? Look, salvation is something that God does to people. It's not something people do. It's something, if, you, if you've been born again, that's something that God intervened and he acted by his grace and he saved you by grace, right over there in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved. Salvation is something that happens to people. It's not something people do. No one has ever saved themselves. It's passive language. Drop down to verse 10. It's all over Scripture. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We're the reconciled people. God reconciled us to himself. So salvation is always, 100% of the time, something God does. He saves, we receive his gift of salvation. It is outside of us and passive to us, each one of us. We were helpless, ungodly sinners. We were enemies with God. The love of God is magnified when we remember our old address, where we were, the kind of people we were before God saved us. Secondly, the love of God is most clearly demonstrated at the cross. The love of God is most clearly demonstrated at the cross. Look back at Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, I remember having the privilege in, um, I had the privilege to go to a, a seminary that was very, very solid at the time. Very, very solid seminary. Had a great seminary, theological education. And I remember in that New Testament survey class, uh, studying how God orchestrated, you know, the peace of Rome, the Roman road system, all that was going on in the world. And at the perfect time, in the fullness of time, Christ came. And Paul says here, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, what happened? Well, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, listen, the love of God is most clearly demonstrated at the cross. Christ, verse 6, died for the ungodly. For is the purpose. What was the purpose of Christ's death? Well, Christ's death was for the ungodly so that we might be 
made right with God. We might be justified, courtroom language. We're going to see relationship language reconciled in just a few minutes. And, and then, by the way, I love what he does in verses 6, 7, and 8. He gives us a, he paints a portrait. And he says, I want you to think of like the best case scenario for human love. Human love. What does that look like? And that's verse 7. And what is the best case scenario for divine love? And divine love is so much greater and more wonderful. So divine love, verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ. Boy, we could appropriately chase a rabbit there. Think of Jesus' person, second person of the Trinity, fully God. In, in him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Fully God, come to save sinners. Fully man. Christ in his perfect, right, tempted in all the same ways we are, yet without sin. Christ died for the ungodly, the perfect prince of peace, the Lamb of God, died for the ungodly. He said, that's divine love. Now look at verse 7. Here would be the high water mark of what you might find in human love. He said, you know what? Verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. You know, I think of, um, I, I remember when uh, I was a young lad. And how many of you remember when, you remember when President Reagan was shot? I remember that, and uh, I remember those secret service. That, that strike, right? So you see those secret service agents diving. I'm talking about what's the block for a secret service agent? Well, his body. And I remember seeing those agents just diving in front of the president. Y'all remember that? You go pull it up, some of you. Some of you were like, who was President Reagan? Like, read some history. Um, man, they're shooting. He's shooting at the president. And these guys are throwing their body. And well, I, I think, of, look at verse 7. Human love. The I think of military, what folks have done for our freedom. Well, one will hardly die for a righteous man, Paul says. But though perhaps you might find for a good man, righteous and good man, sort of the same kind of language, someone might die. But you wouldn't find the perfect man dying who would you find dying for ungodly, helpless sinners and enemies? Do you see how people say, people, in this bad thinking, people are like, yeah, I've read the Bible, but I want to understand the love of God. And I'm going to say, you haven't read it right if you've read the Bible and you still don't understand the love of God. Because what we've got in this sermon, I think of this sermon today, this passage, this text is the epicenter of the gospel. It's the epicenter of the gospel because we've got God's holiness declared. He's going to talk about us being delivered on the final judgment day from God's wrath. We got God's love declared. And how is it? Here's what the world wants to say. The world wants to say, well, you know what? I'm pretty good. That's a lie. And, and God's pretty small. And that's a lie. And I'm sort of okay. Man, that's a lie. And so we've got this beautiful truth of the gospel, the good news, the happy news of Jesus Christ. And, and God's love is most vividly demonstrated at the cross. Verse 6, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died. Isn't that a summary point? I, I love that summation over in 1 Corinthians 
15, 1 through 3. It's the first importance, right? And this is a gospel in which we stand. Christ died for our sins, what? According to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And Paul says right here, Christ died purpose. Why did Christ die? Well, for us, for the ungodly. I think of it like this, the second point. The Bible declares, declares God's love and the cross demonstrates God's love. You want to go see, it's a declaration of God's love. By the way, where does that start? Genesis. It's declaring God's love the whole way. And then you go over there and you read all over. And, we, and, and by the way, I, don't you love that walk, those disciples from Emmaus? Jesus like, hey man, what about Isaiah? Boom, that's me. What about Ezekiel? Boom, that's right. Psalms, he's just lighting them up. Wouldn't you love to have the recording of that? From the scriptures, he explains. So the Bible declares God's love. And Paul says here that the cross demonstrates, back to Romans 5 verse 6, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And we talked about human love, drop down to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, I love that Paul puts himself right in that sinner boat with us, sinner and saint boat. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners in that state, we had like, man, I want to tell you, let's get up and let's clean ourselves up and we're going to make a trek to God. No, let me tell you what he did. He ran into the dungeon and he rescued us. That's the language of Scripture. Christ died for us. It's related to the first point. So God did not see some inherent good in us. Out of his sheer grace, he set his divine love on wicked sinners. And so you've got this beautiful reality, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John tells us this, explains this love this way. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might have everlasting life. Listen to what John said over in 1 John 4. By this, verse 9, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his son into the world. What do you find in the world? Helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies. God has sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God. Somebody get me, I just want to, I love God, not a news story. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to make satisfaction for our sins. So the love of God, secondly, is most clearly demonstrated at the cross. Third, the love of God ensures us that we will be delivered from the wrath of God on judgment day. It ensures us, God's love ensures us that we will, future, be delivered from the wrath of God on judgment day. Drop down to Romans 5, verse 9. Much more than, what in the world are you talking about? Much more than our justification, much more than Christ dying for the ungodly. Look at this, much more, verse 9, much more than having now been justified. Listen, we are fully justified. We've been acquitted in God's courtroom. That's who we are. We're the justified ones, having been justified. That's beautiful language. That ought to make us stand a little taller. 
having now been justified. How were we justified? By his blood. I, I love that. There's not one letter that's out of sorts. Paul just like stays so solid. And we're going like, you know, that's pretty cool. We must be, we must be the good people. No. We're the bad people. We're the helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. And it's all about God's grace. So it will all be for God's glory. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. That's all present tense. We are justified by His blood, present tense. Look at the future tense, though. We shall be saved. Future. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. A lot of people like to talk about the love of God, and a lot of them don't like to talk about God's wrath. God's love makes no sense until you understand God's wrath. And by the way, God's wrath is just as much a biblical reality as God's love. It is the gospel. And we rest, listen to this, the love of God ensures that we will be delivered from the wrath of God on judgment day. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He said the same thing. Look back to verse 1. Having been justified by faith. And this beautiful reality, we've been justified by his blood. So our justification was accomplished in Christ's death. And by the way, our being saved, the language is just all, look at this. This, the being saved is through Christ. We shall be saved from the wrath of God. Well, how do you get saved? From the wrath of God. Through. What's the stream that salvation from God's wrath runs through? And it's the Jesus stream. Through him. I told you the passage is so Christological. It's all about Jesus. Through him we shall be saved. And what he's referencing here in verse 9 is the end time judgment. The end time judgment. And, and by the way, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And he, God promise, promises us in his word that he has fully justified us. And listen, we will be saved. We'll be delivered from God's wrath on the final day through Jesus. So any answer on the final day when people like, hey, when, you know, if you're leaving here today and you go down there at 52 and you get run over and we find you there at the intersection without a pulse and that could happen to any of us kind of stuff happens all the time. The more I live, it's just happening everywhere. People dying all the way, car wrecks, well, yes, but also heart attacks and cancer and old age and just, you just figure, people are just dying. What's the hope for people when they die? And let me tell you, the Bible's clear. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Now, I bet the world, the world, I, I, you will not, the, the Super Bowl's coming up in like three weeks, I think. Some good games yesterday wasn't there. Not that y'all would watch that, but anyway. Packers, 49ers. There will not be a 30-second ad. I'm just not, they wouldn't run it to say, I just want to tell you something. You can buy everything that's been sold during the Super Bowl, but you're still going to die. Because they don't want you to think that. No, what they want you to think is, you can be young forever. That's a lie. And by the way, young people die. So here's the reality. Paul's helping us. And by the way, it's promised. 
In God's promise book, His, His Word, He promises, to, He's told us the truth that we're going to die and then the judgment. And Paul promises us here that if we're in Christ, if we placed our faith in Christ and we've been justified, we're good on the final judgment day. We will be, we shall be delivered from God's wrath. Praise the Lord. God's wrath that we have coming. And by the way, why do we want people to hear this good news? Because if they're not in Christ, they will not be delivered from God's wrath. What a horrible, eternal reality. It ensures us that we will be delivered from the wrath of God on judgment day. I mean, the, the plain read, you're like, David, you didn't have to get creative with your points. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. It's all about Jesus. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus. Fourth, the love of God. We've been saying this, but he says it clearly here. The love of God has reconciled us to God. So he's used all this language about justification. He shifts gears on us. Look at verse 10. The love of God has reconciled us to God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So I told you justification is courtroom language. It's us, those helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies in God's courtroom. And we know we're guilty and we're standing in God's courtroom before God's bar and we're in the dock and we're wondering how we can have hope. And so God who is just is also the justifier, we studied a few weeks ago, of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so God, the good judge, can say, he can declare us justified. He can, he can receive us to himself and, and we can be acquitted in his courtroom. And so that's courtroom language. And he's, he has been just ringing that truth out verse after verse after verse. Now, he starts using relationship language. Reconciled. Want to be reconciled. So if, if you've got people who are at odds, you know, you've got... You got two friends, two brothers, and you want to see those brothers, you know, those brothers are at odds, they're at enmity, hey, they're not speaking, and you want to see them what, I want to see these brothers reconciled. Well, listen, here's the reality. The Bible's clear. We stand at odds in our sin, apart from Christ, we stand at great odds with God. We would have he would have nothing to do with us. There's a huge breach. There's a huge gap. And he says, part of the work of Christ is, if while, look at verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were brought back, we, we, were, we were brought into a relationship of life and peace and favor and into God's family and at God's table. And, and he's been unpacking that the meaning of that, verse 1, we have peace with God. Well, the peace extends not from just us being acquitted, but over to our relationship with God. For while we were enemies, at that moment, we were hostile to God. We were dead spiritually. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God. Well, how did that happen? Like everything else about our salvation, look, through the death of his son. I told you the Bible declares God's love and the cross demonstrates God's love. And where did this reconciliation happen? When God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son on Calvary's cross. That's good news, church. One writer said about this reconciled versus justified. 
He says, justification language is legal, law court language, picturing the believer being declared innocent by the judge. Reconciliation language, on the other hand, comes from the world of personal relationships. To reconcile means to bring together. So we listen to this. We've been brought together with God to make peace between two estranged or hostile parties. For while we were enemies, listen to this, past tense, we were reconciled to God. I mean, we're on good terms. We're at the table with. We're in fellowship with. We're at peace with. The love of God has reconciled us to God. Fifth and finally, the love of God should lead us to joyful worship. I don't really like my point, and I'll tell you why. I worked with it a lot. The love of God should lead us to joyful, joyful worship. Let me tell you what I don't like about it, how I phrased you. I almost think like, okay, I want to get my game face on so on Sundays when I gather with my brothers and sisters, I worship God rightly. Yes, that'd be good. That's what we aspire toward. But, but we want to get our game face on, our gospel face on, so we understand that every moment, every breath is worship. If we're thinking right. So look at verse 11, Romans 5 verse 11. And not only this, but we also exalt or boast. Run back up to verse 2, chapter 5. Verse 2, we exalt or boast in a humble way. Brag. Most of the times this is excluded because most of the time it's sinful. We exalt, verse 2, in the in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only this, remember we can see our suffering in the right way that God's using. He's going to bring good from it. We also boast or exult in our tribulations. And he gets down to verse 11 and he says, not only this, but we also exult in God. How, where did that come from? So if, if, if we're paying attention to the gospel, there's nothing about the gospel for those who have been reconciled to God, those who've been, been justified by faith, there's nothing that those people would ever have in themselves to boast about. Helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. He came behind enemy lines, rescued us, justified us, reconciled us. He did all that to us. Now, by the way, so what do we have to brag about? You ought to be like, man, you can, get a, you can get a Christian and you can like just paint them hard as you want. They will not boast about anything good in them. Lord, make that true in us. Because we, we want to see some inherent good in us and that's why the gospel, how many of y'all are loving that old hymn we read that's such a worm? Like, mm, I don't know if I like that word worm. We're worms compared to him. I like what the hymn writer said because you know what it does? It knocks me down. It knocks you down because we want to compare it to you. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not so bad. You, we, we are. And by the way, that makes, that makes the reality of God's love greater. That makes our wonder greater. That makes our worship more zealous. It ought to. And he says, listen to this, not only this, but we, we're thinking about these things, this great justification, this great reconciliation. Jesus, the Son of God, dying for the ungodly, God demonstrating his love. You're telling me God's going to the cross? God in the flesh, Christ died for us? He said, not only this, but we also exult in God through, that's always the stream, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom 
We have now received the reconciliation. Lord, help open our eyes that we may see the reality of the wonder, this this wonder that is our salvation. I like what John Chrysostom, they called him Golden Mouth. You imagine a preacher named Golden Mouth, he was quite eloquent. Listen to what Chrysostom said about this verse. And so the fact of his saving us and saving us when we were in such a plight and doing it by means of his only begotten and not merely by his only begotten but by his only begotten's blood weaves for us endless endless crowns to glory in. We exult. We, we hear this reality, and we, we, we ought to, if we're thinking rightly, we ought to be sitting there with our hand on our mouth saying, oh my word, how great, glorious, and good God is that he would save us. Let's apply three thoughts. We think about the love of God. First, recognize the truth about our old state. We were not sick, but dead, spiritually dead. Recognize the truth about our old state. We were not sick, but we were dead. Rest, boy, that's something we don't do much, is it? Rest from our striving. Rest in our great salvation. Jesus loves us. I love this from James Montgomery Boyce's Romans commentary. Karl Barth, this great Swiss theologian, listen to this. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth was in the United States some years before his death. Someone asked a question at one of his question and answer sessions that went like this. Dr. Barth, what is the greatest thought that has ever gone through your mind? The questioner probably expected some complicated and incomprehensible answer as if Einstein were being asked to explain the theory of relativity. But after he had thought a long while, Bart replied by saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Man, amen. That's a good word. Rest in our great salvation. Listen, Jesus loves us. That's so good. Third, ask the Lord to grow our joy in him. That's what I want God to do for me, for us. Ask the Lord to grow our joy in him. We get down. We shouldn't even be able to talk about, it's like he's talked about those realities for 10 verses and he has to hit Paul's and says, and not only this, but let me tell you what, we, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ and it's through Christ and Christ alone that we have now, listen to this, that passive language again, we've received the reconciliation. The reconciliation, if you're in Christ, it fell on you and it fell on you as passive. It's like, it's like we've been shocked. We've received it. We're going to sing this hymn. I'm going to prime the pump, not singing it for you, but reading two verses. The love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, and listen to this line, and it reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering child 
is reconciled by God's beloved Son. The aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon won. Listen to this verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every one a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, God, for your love, your initiative, or you are holy, holy, holy. Uh, Lord, help us get a glimpse of, um, of you as you are. Lord, we were helpless. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies. But your love acted. God, your love is the reality of the happy news of the gospel. Lord, your love cost Christ the cross. Lord, it was your wrath being poured out as payment, uh, Lord, for our sins. Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you for the declaration of your love. We thank you for the demonstration of your love. We thank you that we have been justified. We thank you that we have been reconciled. Lord, we are at a place now of peace, favor, um, fellowship, communion with you. We thank you, Lord. We, none of us have died. So, Lord, we read that promise in your word that just as Christ's death, his victory on the cross was sufficient to save us, to justify us, to reconcile us, much more than you promise us, God, that on the final day, uh, Lord, we will be delivered from your wrath through the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for so great a salvation. Lord, we get so distracted and enamored with life here that we seldom boast in you, God. We often complain. Oh, God, reorient our thinking. Um, correct us, Lord. Reprove us today. Lord, we boast in you uh, in the great victory that came through our Lord Jesus Christ and it was through him that reconciliation has been done. God, forgive us for being glory thieves, for wanting to somehow take part to bristling at how you 
um, declare the truth about our state. Lord, um, rip the pride out of our hearts. Lord, make us humble. Lord, we humble ourselves. Lord, you know exactly who we are. Lord, you know what we need. We pray you would make the necessary changes in us to make us more like Jesus. We pray you would make us into a body of believers that, Lord, that exalts our great head, King Jesus, and lives in ways that, Lord, is exceedingly pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray for those who are carrying burdens. I'm sure we all are in some manner, Lord. I pray that burdens would be lifted at the cross. Lord, help us see that, Lord, in Christ, all your promises are yes, Lord, that we have the victory. And Lord, in this world, we will have trials and tribulation, but Lord, we have the victory. And God, that your divine power has granted us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness here and hereafter. So Lord, I pray Jesus would be high and lifted up Lord, he would draw men, women, boys, and girls unto himself, Lord. For your glory alone, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.